Hey, Thank listeners, I just have this desperate, I have a, a I was going to say I have a foot thing. I don't want to say I have a foot no, thing. No, that's weird. Uh, the thing about feet that I have is that second toes need to be longer, otherwise mm-hmm. you're shaped wrong. Not mm-hmm. all of my children have longer second toes, so I won't tell you which ones I love and which ones I don't. <laughs> no, um, but I just need to know, can we get in the Facebook group and can you tell me which one is your longest toe? Yeah, let's do this. <laughs> I need to know. This is our poll. Welcome to Crime Crazy, the weekly true crime podcast with Erin Pline and Diana Seacon, where we prove that we know nothing about our legal system, but we're still crazy for a good true crime story. Yeah, we are. So Erin, uh-huh. did you learn anything this week? I did. <laughs> so Sophia's birthday is coming up Yay. really soon. And uh, we are doing, so her animal is an elephant. Like mm. all my kids have animals. Hers is the elephant. I was really uninspired. And so I decided. Um, and so we're doing elephants. And I told my mom and sister we were doing elephants. And of course, my mom's smart ass response was, I said, I think we're doing elephants for Sophie's birthday party. This is all over text on the bus the other morning. She says, you're going to rent an elephant for Sophie's party? <gasps> awesome. She said, make it a baby elephant in a waiting pool. Oh. And she sent me the video of the baby elephant in the waiting pool, of course. I said, if only. I said, I asked if she wanted me to rent her a goat. She was not pleased. Morgan says, please. My mom says, I'll chip in. Yeah, I'd be on that. <laughs> so you can rent an elephant for an event. It is $6,500. I will give you all of my money to make this happen. (laughs) So you can, um, I don't know if there are any local. I didn't find any local that were, or like even remotely local, like within the state. I don't think we have any elephants in the state. I am fairly certain that even in the zoos, we do not have elephants. Yeah. So I looked into that because I thought, well, actually we could like go to a zoo with an elephant. And, mm. But no, I, I couldn't find any elephants. Um, my mom and sister decided that was way too expensive. Um, and I'm telling you, Peg and Morgan, I will chip in. Well, so my mom says, oh, Morgan says, how much to purchase? My mom says, I'll chip in for a purchase. <laughs> So if you would like to buy an elephant, an adult elephant, it is closer to $34,000. But they are legal to own if you are zoned for an elephant and you have the appropriate licensing. You can own an elephant. Um, and I was reading on the internet where they were talking about, like, how do you get, like, convince the government that you need to have an elephant? And so, of course, if you're, like, a wildlife sanctuary or a zoo or something right. like that, you can. Um, certain kinds of like trainers and you could have a business that has exotic licenses. Uh, Religious purposes is the other reason that you can (gasps) apparently convince the government that you need an elephant. I'm going to find that religion. I'm going to believe in it. I don't know that Minnesota has any areas zoned for elephants. Nevada is very loose on their exotics laws. So if you wanted to move to Nevada, you could potentially own all kinds of animals. So problem with that, mm-hmm. I do not want to live in Nevada. <laughs> no, it is hot yes. and dry. Yes. And there's Vegas there, and I was not not very thrilled. You can avoid Vegas. True. But, but the hot and dry is the situation. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> so the rest of the thing I learned about elephants and buying elephants is that it is 
it is cheaper, like significantly, like almost half to buy a calf instead of an adult, which struck me as backwards, right? Because if I'm going to go out and adopt a dog, generally speaking, a puppy costs more than an older dog. Mm -hmm. And so I was talking to uh, one of our office managers about this or I guess that's what's the title? I don't know what we call him, but he's awesome. He's amazing. And so we were talking about this <laughs> at work. And I said, I just think that that seems backwards. Like with children, if you adopt an older child, like usually you get a stipend. So essentially they pay you to take an older child. But if you want to adopt a baby, it's tens of thousands of dollars to adopt a baby. Right. And he says... <laughs> I guess that makes sense. You usually pay pay more for something that's new instead of you. <laughs> so that's what I learned this week. <laughs> Are you going to start telling Tyler that you got him used? Used, yeah. <laughs> like, oh, okay, yeah, all right, I oh, get it. Oh, that's pretty funny. <laughs> so, Diana, do you have anything that you learned this week? Uh, I do. Actually, it's... um. See, y'all may have noticed that I've had a string of stories, and this was, by the way, totally unintentional, about Mm. uh, people that went missing, and everybody was like, well, just went back to the drugs, or, you know, oh, he gets us now. Super, super depressing, like, call your people. Call your people. Um, I want to tell you a little bit about why that's important. Okay. Um, I'm going to be a little vague here, because I want to protect people's privacy, Uh but we had a death in the family, uh, in my family, Mm -hmm. in the last week or so, and the the person that passed away was almost a a prime candidate for a Call Your People story. Yeah. He's, you know, 59, um, not a savvy user of technology, i.e. no internet in the house, flip phone. Oh, my God, I couldn't live like that. No. Um, self-employed, so not oh. a specific place to show up every day right. at 9 o'clock. Um, you know, has relatives in the area, but not super close. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, he is a prime candidate for, you know, yeah, going missing and people not noticing for a while. Right. But the thing about this person was... Um, whether deliberate or not, he had set up systems in place. So um, as a self-employed individual, obviously he doesn't show up somewhere every day at nine o'clock. Right. So that's kind of out. Like right. um, being, he, he was not only self-employed, but he was self-employed as like a, like a contractor that you would hire. And yeah. they're notoriously flaky, right? Yeah. <laughs> you know? yeah. So even if they don't show up for a couple of days, you kind of figure like, well, some better job came along or right. whatever. It rained. It didn't rain. It, right. Yeah. It didn't hot. fucking feel like it. Um, he, he lived alone, did not mm. have a significant other. Um, but one thing he did every day, every single day is he called his brother, who was also oh. a bachelor living alone. And every single Saturday morning, he went and had breakfast with his mom at the nursing home. Oh. And um, the the day he passed away, he was supposed to have lunch with a friend, but called to cancel because he had to have some emergency dental work. Legit. Like, you know, that happens. Um, But, you know, he had lunches set up this week with people that he was going to get together with because his his death was unexpected. So what what ended up happening, as far as we can tell, is he came home from whatever he was doing on Friday, possibly because he didn't feel well, because his neighbors also had great relationships with all of his neighbors who knew his habits. Um, And he knew theirs. 
So he came home in the middle of the day. The neighbors noticed because that was unusual because right. it's largely older people, retired people that live in his neighborhood. Mm-hmm. So they noticed that. Um, and they noticed his truck didn't leave again. Right. Um, but, you know, again, sometimes. Yeah. You know, that, I'm that having can a be, day off. Right. Or that can I be excusable or Right. Yeah. It was a beautiful week. I didn't want to. Yeah. But so they, they noticed that that behavior, he didn't call his brother that day, which again, you know, right. sometimes that happens. Right. He didn't show up for breakfast with his mom. And that's when the alarm was raised. Yeah. And um, a wellness check was, was initiated and he was found to have passed away at home. Mm-hmm. We would not have known about his passing if yeah. he didn't have this this network and this routine and when he did not follow his normal routine that somebody who noticed did something right because again he was a prime candidate to be one of those people that's like wow we haven't seen him in like a year wonder whatever happened to him but because he missed two engagements that he always 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 has right and people know that those are things that are important to him they, they called the police. There is nothing that could have been done to prevent his death. Uh, right. If he lived with 12 people, like, it was it was sudden, it was massive, it was done. Yeah. Um, Which, I mean, if I, that's how I would like to go. Absolutely. Oh, 100%. Like, I was at work earlier today. It was fine. I'm just dead. Like, that's it. Right. I mean, I mean we think he, like, came home, had a shower, laid down, and it was over. Yeah. That is 100% the way I want to go. Yeah. Um, but it could have been ages before we knew. And it wasn't because yeah. he called his people and his people stepped up Yeah, when his behavior was unexpected. So, so be proactive, even if you are the people. Well, and even if you are the people, again, if you see people behaving or not behaving in unexpected ways, I think about that lady, I think it was the first story, who this church community had taken her in yeah. and given her housing and helped her with her child and all of these things. And then when she disappeared from social media, oh, that was another thing he didn't have, because again, no internet and flip phone. Yeah, yeah. Um, but when she disappeared from social media, when she wasn't showing up for church, when she doesn't doing any of those things, instead of doing what my relative did and raise the alarm, her entire church community was like, must have gone back to the drugs. Right. And she hadn't gone back to the drugs. She was fucking dead in the backyard. Yeah. Yeah. So call your people when they're not behaving appropriately. Or I don't want to say appropriately. That's judgy. Well, but but when, they're not, yeah. when they're not behaving Normally. as expected. Because I don't think anybody is ever going to be mad when you call and be like, hey, I haven't heard from you well. Is stuff okay? Right. I was thinking about you. Right. Doing all right? Right. So call your people. Yes. Call your people. That is a downer. I know you're saying yours was a downer, but, but it's also like really nice. Like it, it, it I mean, it, it, ultimately he's still is gone and that's sad. And, right. But, but it sounds like he did things right and his family did things right. Yep. And yeah. I also think it was weirdly ironic that after I've gone on like a three week rant of calling people. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That this is what happened in my own family. Right. Yeah, so I'm going to have follow-up on that um, because I have learned some other things that are relevant to our interests throughout this whole yes. situation, but that is all still unfolding, so I'm going to wait. Yes, absolutely. Wait until and I know then, more. Yeah. So call your people. Always always a good thing. Call your people. Yes. 
So, Diana, do you have a story for us this week? I do have a story. I am ready. All right. I don't know anything about this story. I've not been teased by this story. I've not had to close my ears and sing la 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 while you told other people the story while I was in the room. (laughs) I haven't heard that your husband or your son said anything interesting. I don't think I told anybody because I put it together last week and then we were both sick. Oh my God, that was rough. (laughs) Yeah. It's been a rough week. Um, Well, and funnily enough, I came back from Chicago like four hours ago (laughs) (laughs) and um so another thing i learned is where the 19 or i'm sorry 1893 columbian exposition was in chicago and i walked part of its grounds and that was super exciting sat in the nerdy section of the concert and then i sat in the nerdy section of a (laughs) gaslight anthem show She's, you can't see, but she's like ready to rock out in the podcast room right now. So here's the thing, you guys. I am 43 years old and I rocked out so hard last night. I hurt. <laughs> <laughs> uh, it's probably going to be too late by the time this drops. But if you ever get the chance to see them live, fuck, go do that. Yeah. It's amazing. It amazing. Good, good so good. Worth every bit of the, oh my God, I'm old pain. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, sat next to a high school history teacher, nerded out completely. Um, it is the club we went to was the Riviera in Uptown Chicago. And it is around the corner from the Green Mill, which I did post pictures of. So I got to peek in there. That's cool. And that was really cool. Uh, we're going to have to go back. There is There are so many really cool tours in chicago we just couldn't make it work out yeah with the timing we need to do a a crime field trip like i can't believe we haven't done that i mean we've we've been busy we have been so busy but yeah we need to we need to settle on a crime field trip because there's actually some achievable stuff well right there's stuff well there's stuff in the cities like we could do that in an afternoon instead of like a weekend yeah instead of a road trip there's so much good stuff around here uh, so anyway, I was thinking about this weekend since I was actually totally accidentally at the grounds of the 1893 Lemmy Exposition. Yes. Um, it's funny because my story today is a little bit about architecture. Oh. So I'm going to tell you about the Hotel Cecil. Okay. The Hotel Cecil, which looks like that. Nice was constructed in downtown Los Angeles in 1924, and it was designed as a destination for business travelers and tourists. It's designed in the Beaux-Arts style. It had 700 rooms, which seems like a lot of rooms. So what do you mean it was a destination? Like, is it a hotel? Is it a conference center? It was a hotel. Okay. But it was in the 20s, so I don't know that conference centers were much of a thing yet. Okay. But the intention was that people would know about that hotel and specifically come to LA to stay in that That hotel. hotel. I gotcha. Okay. It, uh, so 700 rooms, and it cost a million dollars in the 20s to complete. For half a second, I thought you were going to say to stay. (laughs) No. (laughs) Holy shit. No, no, no. Very reasonable to stay by today's standards. It opened in 1927, and it has an opulent, everything I read said opulent, marble lobby with stained glass windows, potted palms, and alabaster statuary. It is gorgeous. Uh, If you Google uh, Hotel Cecil, like, interior, it's amazing. It's so beautiful. That's cool. Yeah. The hotelier that owned the Cecil, William Banks Hanner, was confident that his investment in this hotel would pay off, but... 
uh, you know, it opened in 1927, and there was a bit of a problem in 1929. Yeah, poor dude. Yeah. So, um, it wrong. It's just wrong. I know, but so close. So close. So close. So, obviously, the Great Depression struck within five years. The Cecil stayed open, and it actually had kind of a comeback, and it flourished as a destination again throughout the 1940s. That's awesome. Yeah. So in the 50s, uh, that neighborhood began to go downhill, and the hotel went went along with it. It's estimated that as many as 10,000 homeless people uh, were within a four-mile radius of the hotel. That's a lot of human beings. 10,000 people is a lot of people. Well, 10,000 homeless people without people without without homes in addition to the people with homes and the shops and the yeah it is a lot of people well because if it was 10,000 people in a neighborhood of you know of four miles right Right. four mile radius houses like that's not a big that's fine whatever because you don't see those people but these are people that don't have anywhere to go yeah big homeless problem it was a big homeless problem and the hotel cecil being in this neighborhood and being kind of down on its luck as well became known as a residence for transients gotcha I, that was what i was going to say is i know where they could find some room well right there were 700 of them yeah which does not hold ten thousand people i you really packed them in there i bet it could <laughs> I, maybe nobody's gonna get any sleeping <laughs> yeah no i don't know that that would be any better than not being in the hotel yeah but no. you could you could several thousand of them could stay oh, there relatively comfortably definitely definitely so while the cecil is a beautiful building and a very important architectural work that's obviously not why i'm telling you about it i you know this doesn't seem very crime ish well let me assure you that there has been i believe the technical term is a metric fuckton of crime that is associated with the Cecil. I'm excited. Here are some highlights. <laughs> Your face. <laughs> She's so excited. The first the first documented suicide at the Aww. Cecil was in 1931. Yeah. A man named W.K. Norton died in his room after taking poison capsules. So many suicides followed in the 40s and 50s that the hotel became known as the suicide. Yikes. So there's a list on Wikipedia of what they believe to be pretty much all the crimes that are associated with the Cecil. And there, there are a very significant amount of suicides. And what really surprised me with this is how many people killed themselves with poison. Yeah. Because that is maybe it's because we can get our hands on better pharmaceutical pharmaceuticals now. But I feel like people don't kill themselves with poison anymore or each other. No, it's true. Well, because... You wouldn't kill someone else with poison because it would be very easy. Not in the 30s, necessarily. No, no, no. I'm saying like now. Yeah, it would yeah, be yeah. very easy to figure out. I wonder if the concern for, well, A, we have really easy access to things that will kill you faster. Mm-hmm. And B, if I have taken poison and somebody discovers me, then they might save me. Whereas right. if I put a hole in my head. I mean, I'm still going to take the poison. Like, if I'm going to kill myself, I'm still taking the poison, let's be real. Ugh. But, oh, I don't I'm, know. But still. I know that hotel suicides are, that's like one of the number one things and that California, especially San Francisco, has an unusually high suicide rate in hotels. And that if you are a local who rents a hotel room, then it is, that is a good guess that that's what you're 
do it, yeah. especially in San Francisco where the hotel rooms are $600 a night. Right. And Not know, all of them, just... Just on weird Tuesdays. Right. <laughs> I uh, knew a girl in high school who rented a hotel room and killed herself mm-hmm. a, a couple of years after we graduated. And that was the first time I'd heard of that happening. Yeah. And it is a thing. And apparently the thought is they don't want family to find them. They don't want family yep. to deal with the mess. Yep. Um, yeah. And then it won't be associated with their house. Their house won't be damaged in any way. Like they, yeah. it's, it's anonymous. They're not going to get walked in on. Nobody knows they're there. Um, I read a whole article on how to tell if your hotel room has had violence happen in it, mm-hmm. like based on what's been replaced and mm. um, what's been repainted or carpeted and all that. So every time I go to a hotel room, I'm like, okay, let's look. Let's have a look. <laughs> so I did try to tell our boss about that. And she told me in no uncertain terms that I was not to tell her how to tell if somebody had died violently in her hotel room. Yeah. She spends way too much time in hotels That's for that to be cool. That's <laughs> exactly what she said. She's like, no, I don't, I don't want to know. But I don't know. I, I don't it know. does not bother me. I, it I, would be tragic, but it's not like I'm worried that they're going to haunt me or if it smelled no. like someone died, that would be a problem. I don't know. Sometimes those room fresheners they use. <laughs> yeah. Oh, man. Yeah. In I, 1947, mm-hmm. <laughs> Elizabeth Short, the Black Dahlia, was spotted drinking at the bar at the Cecil days before her notorious and still unsolved murder. That is fairly unconfirmed, however. Okay. And then... Also, it's not a crime. I suppose it's not. Just drinking at a hotel. No, but the carving up later on. Well, yes, that that <laughs> is, but <laughs> spotted drinking at the hotel bar, not, not actually criminal activity. Yeah. Although there, pretty cool still. <laughs> there is a story I've wanted to tell, side note, um, about something that happened locally, like very locally to me. Um, but the guy was exonerated, so technically no crime. Interesting. Yeah. Might have to be a special episode. Yeah. Because in my mind, it is a huge crime, but he was found innocent. Oh, I'm so curious now. This is going to be one that's going to be weeks, like that other one where you're like, no, I'll tell you. You know about this one. Oh. And then there's the serial killers. (laughs) I'm ready. Richard Ramirez, the Night Stalker. The most epic hair of a serial killer ever. <laughs> Stayed at the Cecil for a few weeks in 1985 and engaged in part of his killing spree while he was staying there. I was going to say, again, staying in a hotel, but no, okay, yeah. you're good. You're good this time. He stayed on the top floor, club level, baby. Nice. Paid $14 a night. Which translates into, do you have any idea? Oh, I didn't. I forgot to look that up. What year was it? 1985. Oh, it's that's still like... Still real cheap. Yeah. All right, so you said $14, mm-hmm. dollars And he was not what one would call an employed man. Well, thirty-two seventy-eight. <laughs> oh, man. Wow. Yeah, I don't think I've ever stayed in a hotel for $32.78. I don't know that I would stay in a hotel on the top floor for $32. Top floor, like 17 stories or something. I don't think I'd stay there, like. Can you imagine how sketchy that hotel, like... Yeah, I can imagine. (laughs) It would be really frightening. Uh, He was known for leaving his bloody clothes in the hotel dumpster and walking through the lobby partly undressed. 
Well, then, yep. I guess that is cool in a hotel that costs $14. <laughs> well, and imagine, again, this is this is a sketchy hotel. No, like, right. no two ways about it. Sketchy, right? Beautiful, but sketchy in a bad neighborhood. Yeah. And this guy that comes back regularly covered in blood, dumps the clothes in the dumpster, and wanders back up to his room in his undies. Everybody's like, nah. There goes Richie. Yeah. <laughs> At least he took them off outside. I'm not going to have to clean out of the sheets. Hope and... you can come up with that 32, was that 3258? Yes. <laughs> uh, Australian serial killer Jack Unterweger stayed at the Cecil Unterweger. in 1991, possibly in homage to Ramirez. Oh. While he was staying there, he strangled and killed at least three sex workers. He was later convicted. Um, it says in Austria, which I'm not sure why, um, and hung himself shortly after the, con- the conviction. He so. hanged himself. The past tense of hanging is different when you do it to kill yourself or to kill somebody else. Is that what it is? Mm-hmm. I always thought it was just one of those bad grammar things that snuck into English that I was mad about. Mm-mm. I'm going to stop being mad about it then. Yeah. No, hanged is the appropriate past tense if you do it to somebody and they die. Or you tried, like, if that's the intention. Right, yeah. Rope around the net kind of thing. I did not know that. Yep. Oh, I learned. I learned from you. What what is that supposed to mean? (laughs) I learned from you. Like, you never did. You you try not to learn things. You try not to learn me. Okay, okay. Well, then I'm less insulted. (laughs) No, no, no. Not that I don't. Not that I don't have things to learn from Aaron. (laughs) You're going to learn how to edit here in a second. (laughs) That's right. So the the hotel is actually no longer known as the Cecil. It's called the Stay on Main. However, the picture I showed you where it says Hotel Cecil on on the side, that's Uh that's a pretty recent picture. So they've just left it up for like... Well, it's those, one of those painted or? on the side. I mean, I don't know that you can actually get rid of it without sandblasting it. It's painted on the side like they did right. the old style. But I feel like they should have, they should leave it up there just for Well, right. They've value. still got the, the, like, the neon sign and everything. Yeah. yeah. Everybody knows what it is. It's been right. around for almost 100 years. So although the hotel had become the stay on Main by then, I still count this final one. Oh, um, okay. Alyssa Lamb was a Canadian student who was videoed behaving erratically in the hotel's elevator in a possible attempt to hide from someone. Several weeks later, her body was found in the hotel's water tank after visitors complained of weird tasting water and low water pressure. I know that story. I've seen those videos. Yeah, they're... It is trippy. Like, it's... Weird. I don't remember hearing this at the time because I remember um, hearing about it when they found her that um, one of the articles I read when I was looking through this, she was bipolar. Yes. I didn't. I didn't remember that. Yeah. Um, so may have been having something. Something. She was very clearly hor- terrified. She was. But there, like, there are enough angles that I I wasn't convinced there was actually someone there. Like, right. There, she wasn't. I don't, it was, it was bizarre. Right. We might have to do a full thing on that. Yeah. That was, that was a really interesting. Cool yeah. Yeah. I mean, also tragic and horrible, but as yeah. all of them are. So. Yep. I'm not here to tell you about any of those. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> I want to tell you about the one I hadn't heard of when I was looking through this. The murder of Pigeon Goldie Osgood in 1964. Pigeon. Pigeon Goldie. Pigeon Goldie Osgood earned her nickname because she fed and protected the birds in nearby Pershing Square. Aww. She was a retired telephone operator, and she had lived at the Cecil for six years. 
Oh, wow. On June 4th, 1964, she was found dead in her room by a hotel worker distributing phone books. Which I bet was more welcome than the 12 people that try to give me phone books every fucking year at my house. They don't just stick them in your mailbox here? No, because I catch them and I make them take them with them. Oh. (laughs) (laughs) It's like I've always just gotten phone books. and They're so disappointing now. It's not like you could sit on a phone book to see something. They're like six pages long. (laughs) I have the internet. Right. I don't need your phone book. Take it away. No, no. She had been stabbed, strangled, and raped. Oh. And her room was ransacked. Next to her body was the Dodgers cap she always wore and a paper bag of birdseed. That's so tragic. A few hours later, a man named Jacques B. Ellinger Ellinger? was spotted working in Pershing Square covered in blood. Well, he he was arrested, Mm -hmm. but later released due to lack of evidence. Oh, yes. A news article uh, of the time speculated that her murder might have been connected to two other murders in the area around the same time. Kind of a similar MO from that. That's it. That's it? That's it. No other arrests were ever made. As far as I can tell, no one else was ever even questioned about Goldie's murder. The case is cold and it remains unsolved. That sucks. The day after Goldie's body was found, her friends came together in Pershing Square. And one of her friends, Jean Rosenstein, told a reporter, we, will, we were all her friends, all of us here at the square. I was just standing here this morning thinking about what had happened when somebody suggested we get some flowers. No one has much money around here, but all of a sudden, everyone started giving me what they could. We just wanted her to know we remembered. Oh, my God. Diana, this is a sad story. Yeah. Lots of bad things happened at the Cecil, but at least one good thing happened. In 1987, U2 performed an impromptu concert on the rooftop of a building nearby. That performance, with the Cecil in the background, was released as the music video for the song Where the Streets Have No Name. Oh, cool. These days, the Cecil is called the Stay on Main. It's run by the Simon Barron Development Company. They have a 99-year lease on the property, and they're committed to the preservation of the architecturally or historically significant components of the building. In February 2017, the LA City Council deemed the Cecil a historic cultural monument, and it's currently being renovated into a mix of hotel rooms and residential units. Oh, cool. Yeah. Do you think there are lots of buildings? I've never heard of a... Hotel slash apartment complex. Oh, yeah. Really? Well, and even kind of back in its heyday, that's what it was. I mean, Goldie lived there for six years. Right. I worked out her rent is like $500 a month. Now? Or 400 and something dollars a month. No, I mean, that was I, that was based on the, oh, 425 Based on if it was $14 a night. Which and it would have been less been because, less. It, yeah, it was 1964. Yeah. And hopefully she got like a volume discount. Yeah. Like a weekly yeah. rate or something. Right. So, yeah, I think there are a lot of those. Um, even where... I, I mean, there are like the the hotels where you stay for a couple of weeks, but I feel like that's different than... No. Does that as a residence? Yeah, because I think... I don't know if it's still true anymore, but like people used to live at like the Waldorf Astoria. Hmm. There was a hotel... God, I don't remember where it was that I was at a couple of years ago. I want to say San Francisco just because I've been there so much over the last few years that 
had like apartments and it's kind of the best of both worlds. Like you get full maid service, you know, like they come in and they treat it like a tower, but it's yours. Right. And also, I mean, you're paying through the nose for it. I was going to say it's really expensive. It is. It is when you're doing those kinds of hotels, but something like the Cecil, which is really for, I mean, it was really a homeless shelter. Yeah. For, for a lot of it that, you know, people could hopefully scrape together $14 a day. Right. When you're out murdering people in the streets of Los Angeles. Yeah. Or being murdered in your Whatever. hotel room. Mm-hmm. Huh. Well, okay, so most of that was really fascinating, and then part of it was just sad and a little bit hard. I'm a little surprised you told me a heartwarming story there. Flowers. And- I just... That really struck with me. I was really... I, I researched for hours to try to find more about Goldie about what happened with her investigation. And there's nothing considering this building was already fairly notorious. Um, I mean, it, it was in the LA paper. Her murder was in the LA paper and it sounded like these, these folks in the square were also, you know, similarly, I don't want to say transient. Cause she wasn't, I mean, she'd had right. a job until she retired. She lived in the same place, but clearly not well off enough to, you know, have her own little home or apartment or whatever. Right. And just that last line has really stuck with me. We just wanted her to know that we remembered. And I, I kind of wanted to put out that out in the world this week for my sanity. Yeah. We remember Goldie, too. Yeah. Aw. Well. Hmm. I told you I was going to be a bummer today. No kidding. What on <laughs> earth? I thought you just went out and had fun. and like. <laughs> so if you want to see some uh, pretty great footage, in 87, the neighborhood was still... Not great. I think it's still not amazing, mm-hmm. but much better. Um, but yeah, they got some pretty cool shots of the outside. They were on a one-story building next to the Cecil. Uh, the band was up top. And so the official video for Where the Streets Have No Name, uh, I watched because, I mean, I haven't watched that since MTV still played music, and that was a day or two ago. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't know about the Cecil back then. Right. I Well, and I have seen the video of um, whatever her name is, the the girl in the elevator and yep. hiding out. But I didn't. I have not heard of the Cecil. It's even more interesting that it's like such a notorious and yeah interesting historical, not just some random hotel that she no. was in. No, it was. And I, th- I remember hearing that at the time that it, it had a reputation and they always mentioned Richard Ramirez, but there was more to it. Interesting. Mm. Well, that's very cool. That was kind of a different, I mean, it ended with a murder and a rape and that's not so different, but that was kind of a different kind of Well, I really thought it was going to be more because I, it was, it was a listicle that was like 10 yes. crazy ass things that happened at the Cecil and it talked about Pigeon Goldie. I was like, oh, I don't know that one. Right. Let me find it. Let me find, you know, these different things and what all happened and, you know, it was, there's just so many interesting stories that come out of it and then just nothing. Yeah. They just didn't look. Yeah, no, it doesn't sound like it was much of a priority, which sucks. No, no. And, you know, again, the 60s, even if he was covered in blood, he could have been like, went to the slaughterhouse. I, I don't know. I don't know why people are covered in blood, but. You know. Right. <laughs> I feel like anytime anyone is covered in blood, like, you should probably ask some questions. Right. So, yeah. I mean, they did ask questions. They just, I don't know if they asked the right ones. Right. They, they, huh. Yeah. So, Diana, I have a story for you that is uh, pretty old because I tend to do more current ones. This one, not so much. Older than me? Older than you. (gasps) By a lot. Like 10, 15 years? 
1881. Holy so balls. That like is 17, old. 17 or 18 years older than you. <laughs> <laughs> My story takes place in 1881. And it is actually an American story, ultimately. But it begins in a small Bavarian village. Ooh. Um, so there is where Hans Schmidt was born. And Sounds like he brews beer. He definitely does not brew beer. <laughs> Do we know this for sure? Uh, yeah, we're pretty sure. Okay. Well, I don't know. It, more like, well, well, we'll... We'll get there. I have ideas about, he probably, uh, like, yeah, some underground operation that's really unsanitary or something. I'm not really sure. So don't drink his beer. Do not drink his beer. <laughs> don't drink anything he offers you, especially not things he drinks. Um, so, Hans Schmidt. Uh, so he, he actually had it bad from the get-go. He was born to parents who had serious mental illness on both sides. Dad was a Protestant. Mom was a Catholic. And <gasps> they were both, like, really... Um, devout but i think in a crazy way mixed marriage Mm -mm. i know right hans from a very young age had three things he really loved in life was it peeing the bed setting things on fire and torturing animals no and yet we're gonna get to some of those um one of them was religion Mm. one of them was sex Mm. he actually was bi had very little preference he just wanted sex uh, the third one was blood. Oh. Yeah. So those things, the first two on their own, fine. Like you can still be a decent human being. <laughs> I mean, you can be a pretty wonderful human being. Um, the blood really kind of throws it off. Um, and it's that a seems. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it seems to be his biggest passion. Oh, uh, well, I don't know. Maybe sex. It's real hard to tell. Um, so Hans. As a child, um, Hans's family friends will tell you that he beheaded two of the family geese. So apparently the family kept geese. And not only did he behead them for no reason, it wasn't like he was in charge of getting them ready for dinner. He just (laughs) beheaded them. I mean, maybe they ate them. I don't know. Uh, He carried their heads around in his pocket for some time afterward. Like, with the meat still on? Yeah, just their heads. Ew. Right? Also, to quote my great aunt Gina, I know who doesn't do laundry in that family. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. The other thing he liked to do as a young man is hang out at the slaughterhouse and watch the animals be killed. So right there, red flags all over the place. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So in 1905, he had, for some amount of time, been working in a school and teaching. And he was arrested because he was forging diplomas for failing students. So Hmm. if you couldn't hack it and you couldn't get your diploma, you just go to Hans Schmidt. He signs you off anyway. That is not what I expected. No. Not where I expected that to go. <laughs> not at all. I have some thoughts about what he was getting paid. Oh, yeah, I suppose. So that happened, and he was arrested, and the prosecutor wanted to, like, prosecute him. Like, this was a big deal. He wanted him to go to jail for it. Dad hired a lawyer. The lawyer 
got him off on a mental defect defense, and he served no time. So the defense was he is either too crazy or too stupid to go to jail, to, to stand to, trial. To, to stand trial, but he was okay to teach the kids. Mm-hmm. All righty. Yeah. No, okay. Here it keeps going. So after that experience, he decided, you know what? I really like teaching. I really like being in charge of people. Obviously, I am a smart dude and important and special. So he became a priest. So in... Oh, ni- man. <laughs> <laughs> I know. In 1904, he claimed that he was ordained by Bishop Kirstein. Now, there are some different stories here. He, from that point on in his life, claimed that that's how it happened. Um, however, there was one version that he told, which was, oh, well, yes, he, I was ordained by him, but it was a private thing. There were no witnesses, like it was behind closed doors, whatever, which is kind of bizarre. Mm-hmm. Um, but apparently the reason that he told both of those stories is because what he claims is the truth is that one night, while he was all alone, St. Elizabeth appeared before him and ordained him a priest. I, I am not a Bibleologist. <laughs> but my understanding, like the original St. Elizabeth or like a later St. Elizabeth? Well, it was not specified, but I'm going to guess that he went all in. Okay. She wasn't a Catholic. Not so much. Mm-hmm. Yeah, mm-hmm. that would. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I, there are lots of things wrong with this. <laughs> also, I'm kind of interested to know, and I, this has obviously taken place far too long ago for us to ever find out, but I'm interested to know whether he believed that that happened, mm-hmm. that he had inherited some sort of genetic issues and then had a really rough childhood. Um but whether or not he had visions or thought that he did or thought that this had actually happened and so really believed mm-hmm. that or whether um, it was like he was just a liar who took advantage of the situation that his parents made it widely known that he probably had some sort of illness and that, you know, he that had worked as a defense for him to get him out of trouble. And right. Well, it could go either way, really. In results, the same. Believed it, didn't believe it, doesn't really matter. No, but I I feel like I have more, not pity for him, but more understanding of right. some of his actions. Like they're not they're not justified, and he obviously I mean, he's just he you'll see in a minute he's a bad person. Mm-hmm. Like regardless of what he did or did not have issues with, he was a bad person. But that he um you know if he really believed that then then he may have gone into this with like really good intentions yeah and thought that's what he was supposed to do whereas if he was just a liar it is that much worse yep so that's the kind of thing I always want to know and I also think that it's really shitty that people use like a mental defect or a mental illness or whatever defense when that is not the issue because that just makes it all the much worse for you know for people for whom that is well, exactly right, and actually. and also makes it seem like a cop out for those people, or makes it you know less legitimate for them mm-hmm. because people like this. Although I don't know, I mean, he was. It's too long ago to have any idea, right? So, in true Hans Schmidt style, he 
went off into the world. Um, he had a couple of different assignments with different churches. Um, his sermons were really eccentric and <laughs> sometimes just downright bizarre. And eventually he had gone to a number of places and it became very clear that there would be no more assignments for him. They were not going to send him to another congregation. That was it. He was no longer welcome. So when it became clear that no one in Europe wanted him anymore, he moved to the U.S. As you do. Yep. Here, he moved to the U.S. in 1909, bounced around, had lots of assignments, preached lots of strange things. (laughs) In New York, in 1912, he met Anna, I think that her last name is O'Muller, O'Muller. Mueller? Oh, Mueller. Anyway, she was a housekeeper. (laughs) And she was working at the church that he was at at the time. Alrighty. And this is where I think that maybe some of his... That it wasn't so much an act, but more that he actually had maybe... I don't know know enough about mental illness to say like schizophrenia or whatever. But he was having something... Something wasn't operating Some sort of hallucination, yeah. Um, So... When he met Anna, he pursued her. Um, He was told, apparently, in a vision to love her. And so he pursued her. She was not interested. He continued to pursue her. He eventually wore her down. I have all the feels about that. Diana's speechless. Hmm. Mm -hmm. So at that same time, he was also in a romantic relationship with a dentist named Okay, again, not Catholic. Pretty sure that's not cool. Right. Well, here, it, it get earnest. Also, dentist, dude. That's like layers of not cool. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Also, the dentist was a dude. That's what I, that's what I meant. Oh. The dude was not an exclamation. It was. Like... <laughs> it was. He was a dude. Yes, he was a dude. Uh, also, not cool exclamation <laughs> dentist. <laughs> I mean, yes. But I, I don't think the Catholics have a specific prohibition against dentists. Well, no, but definitely against priests in any sort of romantic and physical relationship. And, 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 and a homosexual one. <laughs> right. So all kinds of layers of not okay. And. I don't know if Anna knew about Ernest or not, um, but she knew about the the being a priest and all. She knew about the being a priest and all because she essentially worked for the guy. Mm-hmm. Um, he did not let her say no, essentially as well, which is gross. Um, the dentist also was a partner in another way. They were counterfeit partners. So he had not gotten out of that game, but you know, why? He didn't have any consequences for it the first time, so. Yeah. Eventually he won or he won Anna over to the point where they got married in a ceremony in which he was the priest. So he was both the officiant and the groom. I am am very perplexed at how this worked. The whole thing is just bizarre. Yeah. How do you like, did he do the, like, up here doing the priest thing, back here doing the groom thing? Like, I don't know. It also seems like a lot of work. It does. But I don't know how else you would do it, though, right? Because it's not like he could go to anyone and say, hey, we want to get married. I'm still going to be a priest. Is that cool? Is that like when my grandpa wanted to use the company car on the weekends? 
apparently the the policy at his company was that you had to run it past the president of the company if you wanted to use the company car for personal use, uh-huh. which was him. Nice. So apparently every Friday night, he'd sit down with himself and say, so Doug, I'd like to use the company car for a personal use this weekend. All right, Doug, you have a great time. Right. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Definitely some of that going on. Right. I mean, I guess at least in this case, um, he wasn't married by somebody who he was hallucinating. It was at least a real person. Well, then it's good. I guess. Real person that he at least kind of raped and yeah, shouldn't. You know, chastity and whatnot. Yeah, that. So right after he married his new wife that shouldn't have been his wife for many reasons, um, and I'm not sure whether or not he and dentist Ernest ever broke it off or whether that was still going on or whether she knew about it, he had another vision. This time he needed to sacrifice. Oh. Yes. He had this vision over and over again, apparently, or at least claimed he did. Again, I don't know. And it was so frequent and so upsetting to him, so he says, that he told her that he was having this vision. To which she responded, you're crazy. You mm-hmm. can't do that. You're insane. This is not okay. Mm-hmm. So um, then... <laughs> There was never any sort of confirmation about this, so it could have just been an attempt to save her own life, but Anna told her husband that she was pregnant with his baby. Okay. On September the 2nd, 1913, in an apartment they had rented as a married couple who were not a priest and the housekeeper that worked in his church, but as these other fictional characters, he uh, slashed her throat. <gasps> he drank her blood Ooh. while she was dying. He had sex with her while she died. Mm. Then he cut her up and threw pieces of her into the East River. Then he went to work, gave communion, preached a sermon, like nothing had happened. Yeah. And no one knew about their relationship and no one knew they were living together or any of it. So it wasn't like anyone would have suspected him or noticed that she was gone, which was super tragic. However, not too long after that. Telegraph your people. Yes. (laughs) Write letters to your people. (laughs) Her torso washed ashore. But how did they know it was a woman? I told you that was coming <laughs> up. <laughs> um, they found her parts of her in a pillow slip. The pillow slip had a price tag still on it, like a label of some sort. Mm-hmm. And they were able to trace it to the manufacturer and the store that sold it. Wow. So... That is some good record keeping for 1913. Right? So all I can imagine is that like somebody must have, it was, there must have been something distinguishing or like a store name or Mm -hmm. something like that on it. And there just weren't that many places to buy things and everyone knew everyone or whatever. So they get back to the store. Um, It turns out there were just tons of these sold. And they were not like an uncommon or unique thing at all. Like there wasn't a special print or a special Mm. whatever, but there had been one whole bedding set sold on the 26th of August of that year. Mm -hmm. And I guess that was a little uncommon. They were like, you know, I bet it, it came from there. Um, And, 
and we have the name of the person that bought it. And the name of the person that bought it was A. Van Dyke. And we have his address because they had it delivered. Okay. And the address led to the apartment Ooh. where Anna was killed. So when they got into the apartment, um, or actually, that's, let, me, let me step back a little bit. They got to the apartment. They staked it out for three days. During that time, no one showed up at all. No one came by. Hmm. Because, I mean, if you think about it, he had another home. Yeah. She's dead. They were only there as a married couple. So now that she's gone, there's no reason for him to ever return. So the landlord had his name as H. Schmidt. That's who lived there. So he actually mm. gave his real name to the landlord, false name to the the company that he bought the pillowcase from, um, but didn't tell, like, the, the landlord did not know that he was, like, Father Schmidt or what. Right. So after three days, no one has showed up. They they decide it's worth it to break in. So they break in. And presumably they were let in by the landlord. Right. Um, and what they found was the floor had been recently scrubbed. But not the walls, which <gasps> were covered in dried blood. Mm -hmm. Did he think they weren't going to notice? I don't know. I mean, I could, I could think of a couple different ways it could have gone down. Like, maybe he was scrubbing the floor and it was more work than he thought. And then he was like, you know what, I just won't go back here. Or, like, maybe no one will ever know. Or, I, feel like, I feel like I would have made that decision before I put the effort into scrubbing the floor. Yeah, I don't know. Like, you're all in or you're all out. Or maybe he intended to get back to it and didn't. Or And again, just like... Just got busy. Yeah, just... <laughs> He had better things to do. He thought he was going to get it done, but like communion doesn't wait. Right, right, right. Those right. people needed their crackers. In the mm -hmm. So um, they went through the house. There was also a blood-stained knife in the kitchen. So he didn't. He didn't even clean up the murder weapon. Scrub the floor, not the murder weapon. Rinse it off, people. Right. It's very strange. Like the things that he chose to do. Um, they found a bunch of men's clothing in the apartment, and all of it. Um, and a bunch of letters. And all the letters, they were addressed to two people. One was A. Van Dyke. So mm -hmm. he was receiving some sort of correspondence to his fake name at his address where he had given his real name to the landlord. Like, I, I think he really must have had some things going on that he was not thinking clearly ever. Well, and what's interesting to me, you said he was from Bavaria, yes. right? Van Dyke is a Dutch name. Yes. Like, very strongly so. Yeah. I Well, but it, he did move around a lot, so... Yeah, it's just interesting. Yeah, that he wouldn't have chosen something that people right. would have been like, oh, yeah, it's, it's totally your name. I mean, I say that as a very Irish-looking woman with an Indian last name, but... You know. True, true. <laughs> so, the other person that the letters were addressed to, Hans Schmidt. Uh-huh. Most of those letters, the overwhelming majority, were from Anna, and they had a return address. Oh. So they went to where the return address was, which was where Anna used to live. And the neighbor said, oh, well, she got this housekeeping job, and she moved. And so they went to the church where she had moved to. They went to that church. They said, no, she she left. Like, they, whatever, she's no longer here. Um and so they said, well, okay, do you know a, a Van Dyke? Like, 
somebody with the first initial A. Well, no, we don't. Okay, well, what about somebody like maybe Hans Schmidt? And they were like, oh, yeah, he was the priest. He also left. Uh, actually, at the exact same time. Huh. Huh. So they went to St. Joseph's, where they were told was where they had both relocated. And when they got there, it was middle of the night, and they woke him up. And the moment they woke him up, he, like, jumped out of bed screaming, I killed her! I killed her because I loved her! And then gave them all the details. Oh, boy. Yeah. So, during his first trial, there was a hung jury because one of, or one or several of the jury believed that he was insane Mm -hmm. and that he couldn't be held accountable for his actions, which is probably fair. The second trial so they retried him he was convicted of homicide and he was sentenced to the electric chair and became the first i'm not sure if only but definitely the first priest to ever be executed in the united states is this for real or is it like it says he's the first but he was really the third and it meant the united states but it was really north america yeah so (laughs) of a guy that was of bavarian descent but used a dutch name Yes. Yeah, pretty much that. (laughs) So um, he has the title of first priest (laughs) to be executed. But he wasn't really a priest, maybe. Well, I don't know. If if you're not officially a priest, but you work your entire life as a priest, are you a priest? That is way more Catholicism than I am. Well, what if qualified you're to talk. <laughs> not officially a teacher, but you work your whole life as a teacher and you teach people? Are you a teacher? I don't know. Am I a teacher? Yeah, I think so. You're a trainer, but that's just a teacher. Right. It's a teacher who gets to, like, sometimes drink with her students. I'm also better funded. Oh, so much better funded. <laughs> Um, so they did eventually send him to the electric chair. They executed him. The other thing to note with this case is that after they had executed him and they were kind of looking back through everything, there were some other, they'd looked back through his history. There was another death that, uh, they think he actually was responsible for. So at a previous church he had been at, a nine-year-old little girl, Alma Keller, was chopped up and (gasps) burned. Her body was burned. They had convicted, sentenced, and I don't think executed, but he had been in prison, and I'm not sure he ever got out a custodian and janitor that worked there for her murder. But looking back, they're fairly certain that actually that fits this guy much more. Right. So, which is super tragic for everyone involved yeah and also makes me question like what he was getting from those students when he was forging their diplomas and you know what else was going on in all of the churches that he was dismissed from when he was given new assignments and right. that kind of thing like he i think so maybe he moved around because of, he was a problem yes yeah. I mean, and he obviously was a problem. Well, right, 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 right. But yeah, I think there was probably a lot more in his history and nothing that was ever dealt with because mm-hmm. right? they just moved him to a new place. They were like, you know what? This is not working out. You're not good at this job. We question your, you know, everything. everything. Um, so how about you go over there? Yeah. <laughs> how about you don't? You're right. <laughs> Fired. Yeah. So. So, killer priest. Oh, my. Also, my journal. There's a cross on this page. Oh, 
<laughs> and a church and tombstones on this right. one. Well, then we're going to need pictures. Do you like how the steeple says pregnant? <laughs> I didn't notice that. <laughs> so that is my story. That was a good one. Thanks. <laughs> I have no idea where I came across it. I had it saved in pocket forever. And so I was like, that's the one I'm going to do. Yeah. We need to execute some priests occasionally. No. <laughs> but I felt like it was a good day for executing priests. I think so. I think it was. I'm not really sure what makes it a good day for executing a priest, but it just feels right. Yeah. I'm going to go with the gut. Now I feel a little weird about it. Well. Yeah, but your structure, you're not supposed to feel anything. Oh, that's right. I'll stop. <laughs> <laughs> so, Diana, shout outs? Shout outs. Crime Crazy is sponsored by M. Gillum and Elizabeth Wilder. Woo! Thank you. Show sponsors support Crime Crazy through Patreon at the $10 per month level or above. Thank you. You are awesome and amazing and wonderful and lovely and delightful. Yes. I said that in sort of a boring way, but actually I really do feel those things. (laughs) A special thank you to all of our Patreon supporters. If you would like to support Crime Crazy, please check out our Patreon. Go to patreon.com slash crimecrazypod or search for Crime Crazy Podcast. All patrons get a monthly shout out on the show. Woo! Yay! Except for those that get way more than monthly shout outs. Right. Because they're the awesomest of the awesome. It's true. Um, so we just did our whole big shout out catch up and I don't have anybody new to shout out for, but if you would like to receive a shout out, please rate and review us on iTunes or your podcast catcher of choice. We give shout outs for all reviews, but we like the five star ones the best. It's true. You can follow Crime Crazy on Facebook. We're at facebook.com slash crime crazy pod. From there, catch up on the conversation by joining the Crime Crazy group. You can follow us on Twitter at Crime Crazy Pod. You can follow us on Instagram at Crime Crazy Pod. You can visit our website at crimecrazypodcast.com or email us at crimecrazypodcast at gmail.com. You can follow us on Twitter. You're at... Diana, I mess this up every time. Am I at... I'm at Erin Plyme. Oh my God, you've got icons in your notes. <laughs> I do. <laughs> I'm at Diana underscore Secon. You can follow us on Instagram. You're at Eplime. I'm at Classy underscore Broad underscore MSP. My Instagram tends to be a lot of pictures of my daughter and my dog. Yes. Yeah. But they're both so freaking cute. So Diana, before we sign off, uh, is there anything that you need to tell our listeners, any advice that you have for them? I do have some advice. I was reminded this week of my proudest professional moment. Oh? Yes. Um, because I taught a class a couple of years ago. Mm-hmm. It was a kind of a pilot class. I had a, an audience that was really not receptive to what oh. I was teaching. Uh-huh. Um, I'm not sure where this is going with proud. No, no. This is my proudest professional moment. Okay. So um, it was a a four-day class. And at the the end of the wrap-up, I kind of went around and I asked everybody, was this worth your time? Are you going to implement the things that we've learned? And uh, I had a a particular student in this class who uh, sat in the back of the room. He was kind of grumpy the whole time. And he kind of fought me on all the points and stuff. And we get around to him and he said, well... I have learned 
that you cannot half-ass this new procedure. I want to put my whole ass in. <laughs> okay. And I'm reminded of that because um, that cleaning job that your guy did, real half-assed. Real half-assed. So if you're going to do something, whole ass, my friends. Whole ass. Call your people. Or telegraph or letter write. Smoke signals. Something. Whatever. And don't end up on next week's episode. <laughs>